0: These are strange times, aren't they? Certainly the strangest times I've ever lived through. This Easter season we just celebrated seemed so odd, didn't it? Even with all the extraordinary efforts of churches around the world to bring you into an experience of worship and praise and rejoicing at the reality of the resurrection, even with all the FaceTime and Zoom gatherings of families trying to create togetherness and celebration, even with all that, we have found ourselves by and large behind closed doors, locked in, hunkered down, laying low, anxious, even afraid at some level, if we admit it, afraid for ourselves and afraid for those we love. We're all waiting it out until we get a sign that the coast is clear. Lately, I've been deeply struck by the possibility that maybe what we're experiencing today is an Easter season far closer to that of those first disciples so many years ago. Those first disciples were afraid, too. They were terrified, actually. This man they'd left everything to follow, this guy who taught them new things, shown them amazing wonders, promised them an abundant life, this Jesus had been arrested in front of them on the eve of the Passover and nailed to a cross at the entrance to Jerusalem as a warning to anyone else who might be tempted to step out of line. So they were hunkered down in that upper room, afraid for their very own lives. They'd probably double bolted the door and pushed the dresser in front of it. They were probably sitting in the dark, much as we feel to some extent that we're in the dark these days. And like many of us, they were hoping that maybe if they laid low long enough, maybe if they waited for all the crowds to disappear, then maybe they would be able to emerge one by one, keeping their distance from one another, to go their separate ways and get back to life as normal, get back to life the way it used to be. But for now, those disciples are huddled inside, hoping that the locked doors will keep them safe. Hoping that in some way they have regained control of their circumstances. Hoping that they have managed to escape the terrible consequences of hanging out with Jesus. But in fact, it happens a little differently, as the Gospel of John tells us in chapter 20. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they had seen the Lord. Then Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. Now I wonder, do you ever stop to wonder Where in the world was Thomas? Why wasn't he there? Doesn't it strike you as a little odd, a little bit curious that these disciples are huddled away in fear of their lives, waiting for the hubbub to die down, and Thomas, the one we call doubting Thomas, the one we malign as having insufficient faith, he's not there. Now, why is that, do you think? No, we don't know. The gospel doesn't tell us. Maybe he was out buying groceries for the crew, finding them something to eat. Maybe he was trying to gather up the pieces of his own broken expectations. Maybe he was out on the streets listening to what the rest of the world was saying about the events of Good Friday. Maybe He was trying to discover if the crazy news they'd heard from the women that morning was really true, that Jesus wasn't in the tomb. We don't know where Thomas was that evening, but we do know where he wasn't. He was not hiding behind locked doors in fear of the authorities, who were probably out there rounding up what was left of the Jesus movement. Thomas eventually returns to the upper room, and when he does, his buddies swarm around him, all talking at once, saying, Hey, Thomas, 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 Thomas! you missed it! We have seen the Lord! You what? Now put yourself in Thomas's shoes. What would you be thinking? Oh, darn, I missed it! I always miss the good stuff. Or would you be thinking, can this be true? Did that really happen? Are you guys crazy? How would you react? If you had missed Jesus first appearance to the disciples and only heard about it secondhand, like Thomas did, would you have believed your friends? or would you have wanted to see for yourself? What do you think? Well, Thomas said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger there and my hand in his side, I will not believe. For Thomas, seeing is believing and ever after Thomas is known as the doubting one, the cynic, the holdout, the one who would not believe unless he could see for himself. But is that fair? I mean, after all, the other disciples saw the risen Jesus for themselves. They heard him. They spoke to him. They saw him. They touched him. He blew in their faces for heaven's sake. But Thomas, well, Thomas is asked to believe the unbelievable tale they have to tell. Can we really fault him for being reasonable? For saying, guys, guys, this doesn't make any sense. Thomas wants to see for himself. And don't you? I do. Is that so bad? Well, maybe not. The gospel goes on to say a week later, the disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt. Only believe. Jesus doesn't chide Thomas for his need to see and experience, to feel and witness for himself. Not at all. On the contrary, Jesus is so tender, so compassionate, meeting Thomas in his own woundedness, his own pain as Jesus exposes his side and opens his hands to give Thomas what he needs to believe. Touch me. Trace these wounds. Believe in me. Does Thomas actually reach out to poke his finger through that flap of skin to touch his Savior's ribs? Again, the Bible doesn't tell us, but somehow I don't think so. For all John writes is that Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. This doesn't sound to me like the acknowledgement of one whose skepticism has been satisfied, so much as it sounds like the amazed gasp of one who has been swept away beyond steady, reliable, proven fact into soaring, world-changing faith. You see, I think this is the moment when Thomas is able to fully see, not with the eyes of his head so much, but with the eyes of the heart. My Lord and my God is a statement of faith uttered from the very depths of his soul. Thomas may indeed see with the eyes of his head this man named Jesus who was crucified, died, and was buried and is now fully alive, breathing, tangible before him. But it is with the eyes of his heart that he recognizes his savior and is able to confess, my Lord and my God. Then, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Some folks understand these words to be a rebuke to Thomas, a soft scolding for not taking his buddies at their word. But I don't think so. I don't really think Jesus is talking to Thomas anymore. I think Jesus is talking to us. You see, I think Thomas's experience is a validation that faith needs questions and doubts and struggles and fears and wonderings. That vibrant, life-changing faith is not simply a repetition of formulas or creeds or inherited tradition. It is not simply accepting someone else's experience secondhand, but rather insisting on your own Maybe Thomas wasn't there that first evening when Jesus met the others to make room for all of us who come to faith, not without questions and doubts and skepticism, but despite those things, drawn by our deepest yearnings through our own uncertainties into much deeper discoveries about ourselves and about all that is holy The little told story about the Apostle Thomas is that in the years following that first Easter, Thomas set off to take the news to India, where he was apparently so successful that he made hundreds of converts who venerate him today as the patron saint of Indian Christianity. In fact, he was so successful that he incurred the hostility of devout Brahmins who speared him to death in 72 AD in the coastal town of Myalapur. To this day, hundreds of South Indian Christians make pilgrimage there every year to venerate his name. This is the legacy of doubting Thomas, the holdout disciple, the one who yearned for a living encounter with Jesus, who insisted on having his own experience of the resurrection, who dared to confess uncertainty In the midst of others who were certain. A man whose intimate experience of Jesus so captivated him that he was compelled to take that news to the ends of the earth, to stake his very life on it. And isn't this, finally, the miracle of the resurrection? That when we insist on seeing and knowing God for ourselves, having our own experience of the living Christ, that our story takes hold of us, changes us, emboldens us, empowers us, and sends us out ultimately beyond our closed doors to live a faith that can change the world. Let us pray. My Lord and my God, fill us with such faith today, we who have not seen and yet believe. Encourage us in our doubts and hesitations. Encourage us in our lateness to the resurrection. Meet us in our deepest yearnings. May our souls be open enough to encounter you May our spirits be soft enough to receive you. May our souls be believing enough to see you. And may we be brave enough to live for you. We pray in your sure and strong name. Hallelujah. Amen.